Hello, and welcome to Leather Talk with Mr. Bullet Leather 2020. I'm your host, Brandon. Today is part two of our episode with Daddy Sage. In part one, we speak more thoroughly on Daddy Sage's origins, as well as his professional work with HIV and AIDS relief. In part two, we will discuss more about leather and kink. Just a friendly reminder for those just tuning in, this podcast is reserved for audiences 18 years and older. With that said, let's sit back, relax, and get ready for some more leather talk. When did you first discover leather or kink and what was that experience like? Um, I first came upon leather when I was living in San Francisco in the early 90s. Um, I lived in San Francisco from 92 to 95, Mm -hmm. 94, 95, um, 94, yeah. And um, saw some of the leather bars in 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 the Castro area and stuff. But again, most of my experiences were only seeing white men and my sexual experiences that had not led me to date white men so i had not never had an experience with a white man and then there was a cocktail party that someone had and there was a big brouhaha because there was a a white man that came in and he had his sub who happened to be a black man Hmm. and he and the sub was on a leash or on a chain and there was an article written called nigger on a leash and it caused lots of repercussions in the bay area and it went around nationally about black men in leather and ownership and white men all sorts of stuff and a lot of people this again this is the 90s it's a very different time and again if you are a sub and you want to own that part of your life it's okay but I think at that time, the optics were not the best. Mm-hmm. And even in a private setting, there were some people who took umbrage with a white sir having his slave or sub at his feet at a public party. So it kind of brought some some issues up, but also it kind of stirred things in me on the way they were dressed, the power exchange, the power dynamic, so it made me kind of like, oh, this is interesting. Hmm. As I started to broaden my own sexual repertoire and to include more people and more things in what I'd like sexually, bondage, handcuffs, ties start to seep in. Mm-hmm. And then I found myself being very attracted to the leather and the smell of it, the feel of it, how I felt against my skin, and I moved myself towards that. So by the end of the 90s, I was really saying that I like leather. But because of my profession, working in HIV and in policy and other things that I did, I didn't always feel comfortable telling everybody that this was something that I enjoyed. 
Okay, hold, let's take a pause real quick. Okay, there's so much to unpack here. <laughs> so, um, wow. Okay, so I want to go back to this the party controversial party here. Yes. I mean, okay, because I can't imagine. I mean, I I guess I can't speak for you or anybody else. I, I I'm just imagining though that the historical context of this might be triggering for me and. I, at the end of the day, I feel like that would be a turnoff. As well, you know, it wasn't a turnoff experience. for me personally, but there was a lot of people, like, and I have to explain to you, for a lot of black men, I lived in San Francisco, mm -hmm. and I remember um, a black man who was in an open relationship, and he said to me, point blank, if I want good sex, I get another black man. If I want a relationship, I'll find a white guy. And I'm going, what? And he was like, they're more stable, they're, they're, they're more responsible, they're this, they're that, the other, and they're better for relationships. But they're not, they're not, as, they're not as fun in bed, um, or they don't turn him on as much, but he was very much comfortable saying that. And it kind of took me for a loop. There were bars that you would go to that if there were two black men talking, it would be fine. If a white man came in, they would turn their attention to the white guy. No matter what he looked like, no matter who he was, any white guy was better than an attractive or a black guy. For so there were times and places in the country that having a white boyfriend was a step up for a lot of men of color. Uh -huh. That's just being said. It's not, and I'm not to making a value judgment about how people, what people turn people on, or what you like and what you don't like. It is what it is. Now, I'm curious to know about this concept of like, oh, he wants to get into a more like stable, quote unquote, relation. Was that because of like uh, financial advantages? And, and some of that's some of it. Some of it's about um, having better credit, having be, being more socially accepted. Hmm. You know, if you look at TV shows. Anytime, almost any time you see a black gay man on any TV show, he's almost always with a white person. Mm hmm. A part of it is around diversity, but part of it is that it makes people understand it more. And then for a lot, and then for a lot of folks in our community, there is still a perception that there are that black men get into the gay community or leather because of their relationship to white men, hmm. because that's not something that they will ordinarily do. And that's a perception that a lot of people still have. And that comes from people around colorism and the lighter or the closer to white you are, the better it is for people. Um, there are times, you know, in San Francisco, and I don't want to generalize too much, but there's lots of people in San Francisco who, for most of the men of color, their partners are almost always white. It's not just a numbers game. It's just that it, it is what it is, hmm. that there yeah. are people who always think that white is better. That's not, again, I'm not trying to... to Right. These are just but some of your observations. But it's my observation. And so I, I was not at the party, but the, I saw the article that came out after the party and talked about this, this young black man sitting at the feet of this white man at a party and the reaction some people had to him okay. doing this yeah. publicly and so on and so forth. So, you know, there are times where people take their roles to heart and they live those lives. And there's other times where people will wait till they get inside the space to assume the role. Mm 
Mm-hmm. So I, 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 I wasn't, again, I wasn't at the party, but that was something that was talked about by a lot of people and the value of what that meant. Now, how, how did this affect the way, like with all of these kind of things backdropping the leather kink scene for you, I mean, walking into a leather bar, what is that experience like at the time in the 90s? Well, my early days of going to leather bars were, if you here in New York and in San Francisco, if you came in with hard, hard bottom shoes, you didn't get in. If you came with sneakers, you didn't get in. If you hit on cologne, you didn't get in. And also for black guys, if you came in with two or three, more than two of you together, they would like, are you sure you're coming in the right place? Who, who do you know, who, you know what kind of bar this is? Because a lot of times, most of the white, most of the black guys who went to leather bars either went by themselves or they went with white men and it was easier to get in. Now, again, there's a level of racism that still permeates the bar scenes and cities and stuff. There was a time where a black man had to show three pieces of ID to get into the same bar that a white man just walked into. I was at a bar in New York recently and the guy said, let me see ID. And I was like, fine. And I don't know where it looks like I'm under 21. And then a woman came in and said, I need ID. And he says, no, baby, you just walk on in. And I said, you know you can't do that. And it started an argument. I was like, not because, and she was like, oh, it's fine, it's fine. I said, no, it's not fine. And I'm not talking to you, miss. I'm talking to him. You can't blatantly ask one person for ID and not ask the other person. Right. And it's and, bullshit because it's not like, I mean, like you said, you're like, how, however old you said, like six years I'm old. I'm 65. Yeah. It's, right. It's not like he wants to check your age. Like, right. Wow. And so I'm saying, and you can't say it out loud. How are you going to say that out loud? Say, you don't have to worry. Yes, she does. Because if you, and I was like, because you just insinuated something about me that you didn't insinuate about her. Mm-hmm. Now, I can call the legal issues and what and, and, and talk to you about that, about legally what you just did. But that's just not cool. And one of the guys who runs the bar said, I'm glad I saw that. Because he happened to overhear me and he knows me and he says something. So for me, it's not just, it's not right. It's not, it legally shouldn't be done. Now, again, going back to this, this party situation, people like who they like. People are turned on by who they turned on. I'm mostly, I'm attracted to men of color. So seeing a black guy with a white man, I, my first instance is he was not interested in me because I'm not white. Hmm. So it didn't bother me as much, but the implication of what it's what people saw when they saw this black sub at the feet of his master, sir, caused social ramifications. So let's talk about the. I mean, now that we kind of understand the backdrop of this, you you are a part of Onyx, is that right? Yes, I am. So did Onyx change the scene for you? Well, part of it is one of the reasons why Onyx started was to give more support to men of color who want to have a fuller leather experience. Because often, depending on where you were in the country, Mm -hmm. the only people who were teaching or training or showing you the ropes around the leather community were white men. And if you were not sexually attracted to white men or did not want to deal with white men, you had no recourses but to do nothing or find out on your own. That again, when the Onyx started, we didn't have the onset of the internet where people can just Google anything they wanted to see and so on and so forth. 
like these new folks who can, these a lot of young people, you know, I can be a sir because I read X, Y, and Z online and I bought the right outfit. So now I'm a sir. It's like, okay, how's that work? But you know, yeah. um, for some people, that's all it is. You know, they buy a sir hat and buy a leather jacket and some tight leather pants and now they call themselves a sir. But you no, know, it's like, who, who, who have you mastered? Who have you, do, do you have a slave? Do you have a boy? Do you have X, Y, and Z? They just like the title. So, you yeah. know, that happens nowadays. You know, I've talked to a lot of young guys who are often about color and the kinky codes and say, you can wear whatever color you like, but if you're in a leather space, you have to understand that if you wear certain colors, people are going to assume certain things about you. You don't have to like it, but they're going to assume it. Right. And so Onyx provided a place where men of color could learn more about their leather journeys as well as play and experiment with other men of color. Now, we do have white members who are associates, but they're also understanding that they are, that this organization has had come together to promote and support black and men of color in their life. And, mm-hmm. now, and now the Pearls, which is our sister organization, women of color in their leather journeys. And when was your first encounter with this organization? Um, the guy who helped start the organization is someone I knew from the AIDS community for many years. Um, he's a trainer and I would train him, Mufasa Ali. And so we knew each other before Onyx actually started. And then once he started Onyx, um, I knew him um, because of work we had done in HIV over the years. And then as I got involved with leather in New York City first with a group called Black Leather in Color, Glick. And um, there's another organization that's popped out of my head, and I just can't think of it right now. But there were other organizations in New York City that I first got involved with and started to sink my teeth in in the late 90s, mm-hmm. and then eventually got involved with Onyx. I've been a member of Onyx for over five years now, but I've been going to events for about seven years. Okay. So your your experience with leather has what been in the last, what, seven to 10 years seven, then? Seven, yeah, right. right okay. Right. Um, yeah, I, I dabbled maybe 20 years ago, but I really got involved in it in the last seven to 10 years where I didn't care who knew that I was into leather <laughs> and was much more public and about my journey. So let's talk about, uh, you mentioned to me off the record, a story about a harness and church. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just saying that, you know, in the last few years, I feel very comfortable and I have a page on Facebook that says Daddy Sage Onyx. And that's my leather name and people can find me. When I first created that years ago, as I started putting pictures on Facebook, there was a picture of me in a harness. And when I created my new page, I, by mistake, friended myself, my government name with my leather name. So sometimes, you know how Facebook would say, people you might know, or you have these friends in common, and pictures will pop up. Well, there was a picture of me in a harness, and I happened to be at church one day, and a woman walked up to me and said, have you checked Facebook this morning? And I said, no, I don't, I, you know, we're in the middle of service is about to start and I'm really not interested in it right now. So I went on my life. So then later on, she comes up to me in the middle of service and said, did you check your Facebook page? And I said, no, I did not. And so after church, she said it again to me. She said, there's a picture on you that you really need to see. I said, <laughs> I don't know why you're checking 
Facebook in the middle of service anyway, and there's anything on my Facebook page, I'm not ashamed of it. Right. You put it there. It's not right. Like... And so I'm okay with it. And she was really taken aback because I didn't, A, I didn't stop church to run to my phone and look up Facebook to see what she was talking about. Mm-hmm. And B, that I kind of shut her down. They're saying, well, well, why are you looking at Facebook in the middle of church? Right. <laughs> if, you, if you're about the service, why are you in the middle of Facebook? In the middle of service, you shouldn't even be checking your emails, let alone Facebook. Why are right. you doing this? <laughs> and then the third thing was, how dare I not be concerned? Because she was terribly concerned. Right. I came to find out that it was a picture of me in a harness uh, that I had taken at um, a Christmas event, I believe. I think it has, I have on a harness and a Santa hat. Okay. And she was outdone. And, and smi- I, even though I have a mask on, um, I was smiling and I have locks so she could see my locks and stuff. And, you know, if you know me, you know it was me, but that's not the point. She right. was like, oh, my God, how dare you? Oh, see the picture. Okay. <laughs> Whatever. So, I mean, that the reason I wanted you, wanted you to bring that, that up is because um, I want to talk to you a little bit about, like, your perspective on, like, balance. Because I've talked to many guests on the show and, um, you know, for a lot of people, I think the concept is, like, Oh well, if you're if you can't put everything on Facebook, um, then like you must have shame. And I don't like I personally I don't know if I agree with that only because of like we have personal lives and we have professional lives, and Absolutely. those two, in my opinion, don't always need to mix. And um, you you'll hear people say like, oh, well, I, I hate it when people post everything they do all day every day on Facebook. Oh, I'm at a restaurant now. Here's a picture of my food. Oh, I'm here now. Uh, so, but the same people will tell you that you need to put everything up on Facebook if you're kinky. And so right. I just, I don't know. I have an issue with that. What, what's your take? Well, well my favorite that? line is, if there's no, if there's no picture, it didn't happen. I was like, lots of things happen every day that there's no documentation of. I exactly. need receipts. You yes. did what with who? Where's the picture? Where's like, the picture? Oh, give yeah. me a break. Anyway, um, I agree with you that every that you do have a personal life and you do have a professional life. Um, for me, one of the reasons that I got more involved in leather after I, my 50s was because I felt more and more comfortable and didn't care who knew, A, I was gay, or B, that I was into leather. That's mm-hmm. not that, that was less of a concern for me. I'm, because I'm in leather doesn't mean you're in leather. And just because you're in leather doesn't mean I'm, I, wa- I want to have sex with you. You know, right. we both could be leather doesn't mean we're going to play together. So that's one thing. Um, the second thing is that it took me a while to tell many of my friends that I was into leather because of my professional life. I worked in, as we talked about earlier, in HIV, and I worked on political campaigns, and I worked um, in government and policy for many years. And so, for most of the people who saw me. In work settings, I was most of the time in a shirt and tie and a suit, so on and so forth. And so it took me a while to get to a place where I could say that is for nine to five or eight to seven or whatever times of the day I was doing that. And my time afterwards is my time. Mm -hmm. Um, For a lot of activists, especially for a lot of us who worked in HIV in local communities, the only time we could feel free to let our hair down was if we were out of out of town, because 
we were less apt to see friends or colleagues or clients in similar settings. Mm-hmm. I remember one year, one time, because I, I didn't work in HIV around prevention, I went to a bathhouse and they go, oh my God, what are you doing here? I'm like, trying to have fun like you. And like, oh my God, what? It's like, <laughs> I'm, not the safe, I'm not the safe sex police. I'm not going to tell you what to do, you know, right, especially right. you're not in my room. I'm like, I'm having fun with that man over there in that corner over there. I, I had nothing to do with you. But a lot of times people couldn't separate, especially in, the, in their own cities. So for a lot of us who did national work, if I, if I live in New York and went to a, a conference in Washington or Atlanta or San Francisco or Chicago, I was free to do things in those cities that I couldn't do in my hometown because I was less, less apt to see people I see on a regular basis. So yes, I agree with you that um, there's a time and place for everything. And it's nice if you can wear whatever you want to wear, wherever you want to wear it. But you know, sometimes it's not always appropriate or you might not get the response or respect you, that you think you deserve all the time. Yeah, I, I always like to think of it as an intention. I, I'm a performer, I'm a violinist. And mm-hmm. uh, like for me, removing distractions is a big thing. So like, for example, when I'm up on stage, I won't wear any jewelry, I won't wear a watch, I won't wear things that will distract you from what I'm doing on stage, because I want people to be fully immersed in the content that I'm providing. And similar reason to why I, I spend so much time editing my podcast. And similar reason to why I feel like it's important to have like a personal Facebook page and a professional Facebook page, because those things could work as a distraction to what you're trying to accomplish. And, you know, absolutely. Absolutely. So, I mean, that's just my take on it. Sorry to all those listeners who disagree with me, but. (laughs) And that's, and that's why they have choices, you know, (laughs) they have choices. You know, people have partners. They don't agree with every day. I don't want somebody who is just going to be a yes, man. Yes, daddy. Yes, daddy. Yes, daddy. Yes, daddy. That's not fun. I yeah. want you to have a thought of your own brain and want to challenge me and say, why do you do this? Or what's something about that? So that's important. So, yeah. yeah. So let's talk about Daddy Sage. Uh, where, where, How did you come upon the name for Daddy Sage? Um, being an older brother in the leather community and knowing some of the brothers in Onyx and some of the brothers nationally for, for a long time, I'm either older than them or a peer of theirs. So the idea of me coming into the situation um, being a, a sub or a boy um, was hard for people to fathom. Mm-hmm. Though I have had um, those some of those experiences in private, um, they don't often. A lot of people never saw me in those in those settings and that in those positions in, in public. Mm-hmm. Um, I also tend to be able to have a lot of world knowledge about a lot of stuff that's happened over the, the years, um, having survived HIV for forty years and the gay community and seeing where things are. So I've been able to provide, like you said, a different perspective. So I help people like challenge themselves or look where they are or give them the support they need to take the next step or to be a sounding board for people. So the word sage, being being a sage, like a, like a noun, also being a, a the, the sage herb is a spice and it adds a little oomph to certain dishes that you add to it. So I like to be able to add a, a certain spice to, to things I'm involved in, but also saying that I've been around and I can help you out and help you think about things differently. 
Mm-hmm. So, um, and some people think I'm kind of smart. So I think of myself as sagacious. <laughs> and, and so it all came together. And my role as having a dad, being a daddy and having a few boys. And there are a lot of people who, who think of me as daddy or uncle. And I have some, son, some sons who come to me and ask me questions or help, help them get to their lives. So it kind of all fell together. So in... And when you say sons, you're referring to like leather, leather sons, leather yes. sons. Okay. So it's because like you're well seasoned, you have experience and your people look up to you as some yes. for guidance in, in some ways. Mm-hmm. Okay. Awesome. Awesome. So what does your leather life look like now? I mean, does it, I mean, I, I always find it interesting when we talk about balance, like some people's lives are totally encapsulated with leather. Is that the case for you or? Well, the pandemic has changed in so much, whereas I used to be able to go to more and more organizations and activities in New York and around the country. I'm not able to do that as much anymore because of the pandemic. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm looking forward to getting on a plane and traveling because, you know, I miss seeing some of those friends that I saw in the other community. And I have a boy that lives out of, out of New York that I don't get to see him as much. And we see each other on FaceTime and through Zoom and some other places, but we haven't been in personal contact in a minute. So that changes the dynamic. Um, I've also, because of this work I'm doing with you and other leather organizations that I, I kind of talked to, um, there have been people who reached out to me. And I've had a couple of people ask me to be their daddies or to ask me, would I mentor them? So I'm creating some relationships. And for me, it's not just as easy to say yes or no. It's about having almost an interview process where we figure out if we're on the same page, if we both want the same things to happen, or we want to move in the same direction, if they're not the same things, in the same direction. Mm-hmm. So that it's a give and take relationship as opposed to only one of us benefits from the situation. So yeah, my leather life has changed. I've not, I wear leather, at, um, we have Zoom meetings or some other meetings, maybe three or four times a month, but not on an everyday basis. Um, sometimes it's nice just to get dressed and feel it on my skin, mm-hmm. but I've, um, and I have some play partners that I'm able to do things with on occasion, but that's not as readily as I would like because of the pandemic. Right. So right. Yeah, it has changed dramatically. Let's talk about some of your kinks. Um, what are some of your kinks? Clearly, the, the, the I mean, is daddy son role play one of your. Yes. Yes. Definitely that. Um, I also enjoy bondage, role play. I'm very much into nipple play. I also am dabbling into fire and candles. Also dabbling in electro play. That's really exciting to me to do that more often. You know, flogging, spanking. I gotta say, you know, the usual. But I'm also, um, I'm very oral. I like very tactile. I I do like, um, I'm getting into biting. I've been asking more and more about choking partners. They've been, I've been given that request a lot. And I think I'm moving maybe a little bit into foot foot play, foot worship. I wish I had the strength and the space to do more suspension work, but but it's not always the case. (laughs) Oh, yeah. But yeah, I I definitely um, enjoy that. 
And, you know, even I might move a little bit into a mummification. I kind of like that. I went into a couple of classes on that. And I need to, and I would like to explore that a little more. All right. So it seems like you're like really involved and open to exploring new things. Yes. Trying new things. Yeah. And that, that's one of the things I think is great about the, the young community. They're open to being much. Uh, when I came to the community, we were much more about tops and bottoms, doms and subs. Mm-hmm. And now there's a lot more people who are switches or verse. And I may dom for him, but I'll sub for him. I'll do this for that one and so on and so forth. And they have less trepidation about being pigeonholed into one thing or another. They just feel comfortable doing what they do with whatever who they're with, as opposed to, oh, I thought you were a top. How come you the him slide you? It's like, I'm here for the experience. I'm here for the, you know. Right, right. Uh, X, Y, and Z. I, I, he, he, he brought something else out of me that I wanted to explore with him. I love that, that you said that, that. That don't mean you get to flog me, but he gets right, to flog right. me. <laughs> I love that you said that. I'm, I'm here for the experience. Uh, there's a, there was a guy that I was. We had like a subdom, really, not like ex- really explicitly, but I was more the top the dom with this guy and one day we ended up in a dark room together and this other guy starts topping me and he happened to be there and he goes i thought you were a top and i was like uh yeah to you mm-hmm. <laughs> like, um, right yeah we're here for the experience and like god forbid we remain the same person every single day like absolutely monotonous and boring would that be you know and then, you know, I, I know there are other people that are like, oh, I'm a strict top and I won't do anything else. And that's fine. Like that's if that's how you you know want to do your your life. But I, I just think there's too many things out there for us to experience. And like, I don't want to say no to any of it if I don't have to. Absolutely. Absolutely. And because you said no to me doesn't mean they are going to say no to me. Yeah. So you should be ready to experience things with other people. Um, I. I I get more resistance from guys who think of themselves as tops to, especially in the leather community, to experiment or to sub for for other people in a learning situation. And I was like, you need to understand when you're flogging somebody that it may wit to hit them or, or how much force to use and so on and so forth. And if you are being flogged, you can say what makes you feel good versus what doesn't make you feel good. And I'll make you a better top in the long run. And for some of them, it's real hard for them to hear that, as opposed to, I am man, hear me raw. You know, it's right. like, give me a break, uh, you know. Well, on, this is opening up a whole other can of worms, but I remember, <laughs> we won't, I, I won't mention any names, but there, there was someone who I had this discussion with where uh, it had come out that tops were getting paid more than bottoms in gay porn, in, mm-hmm. in some gay porn companies. And I thought that's, I said, that's ridiculous. And before I could finish my thought, he said, yeah, right. Tops do all of the work. And I was like, um, no. Right. I was like, it takes skill to be a bottom. Like not, not everybody can bottom. That's not a thing that everybody can do. And it takes preparation and time and skill. Like anybody, sorry to all the tops, anybody can stick their dick in a hole, right? Like, Mm -hmm. okay. But yes, there's technique and stuff to that too. But like that, that was the discussion we had. And I think like, 
if you were if you are to bottom and you're capable of having that experience once or twice at least it can inform your abilities to being more of a skilled top and absolutely so absolutely many. and it's about providing pleasure you know and for a lot of folks uh, i've also met bottoms who like has said things like as a top you never touch the bottom's dick i was like excuse me i said aren't we both men yeah. <laughs> aren't we both gay <laughs> um aren't we trying to have fun and he was like oh no i'm here to satisfy you and whatever you want is is, is my job and da, da 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 and i was like okay that's one way of looking at it but that's <laughs> that's not kind of fun for me because uh, yeah. i want i want to know that you enjoyed yourself and and may want to come back for some more as opposed to Okay, I did my job. Next, I'll never right, see you again. Right. And like, some people no. get off on that too, as being like used as like the hole or whatever. But um, mm-hmm. but yeah, like you know, at the end of the day, I think whatever whatever the experience that you're looking for is the experience that you want to have with that person. Um, I mean, while we're while we're here, are, are there any like highlights over the last seven to ten years? Like, what's one of your most memorable kinky experiences? Oh, there's so many, you know, my first time at Onyx's Blackout and, you know, seeing some porn stars that I had seen in videos who were some of the nicest people in the room. It was like, this is a really nice guy. Yeah, he still gets my dick hard, but he's a nice guy to talk to. And he was as cool as, and you know, and and they tell you their real names as opposed to their stage names. Right. They become these wonderful and became friends with people like that was really nice to get to know people as a human as opposed to a dick in the ass that's been great um also seeing how people i didn't know see me and perceive me you know because a lot of times you walk in a room and you don't know how people you may think of what you're giving off but you don't always know what you're giving off and folks say oh that's interesting and 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 having people approach me was really really interesting my first mal my first iml those are experiences i will never forget my first claw just to be in a room with so many like-minded people and in a sex positive place but it doesn't but it's not all just sexual Mm -hmm. you know what i mean so can you explain for those who are listening who might not understand what that term means sex positive what does that mean for you well you mean when i say sex positive place that the kink or your sexuality is not something to be ashamed of or hidden Mm -hmm. and so you can be there in anything from heels and a kilt to boots and a kilt you can Mm -hmm. be there in a harness and a jock strap you could be walking through the room just about butt ass naked um (laughs) with a chain with a a collar and and a mask on your face because you feel free enough to be there and not and also know that you're not going to be hurt in any way so your sexuality is is seen as a positive as opposed to negative now in your experience is sex positivity something that you experience more so in the leather and kink world versus like in the general gay world i mean yes yes because you can be sex because again i think in the gay world or if you go to a regular gay bar if you're not with friends, it seems like everybody's out there to see who they can meet or who they can pick up. Mm-hmm. And it's and it's lessened now because so many people are dealing with the apps. And so even you might have to eat the gay bar. Everybody's on their phones anyway, looking at somebody they're going to have sex with 
in 20 minutes when they get to their homes. But years ago, part of going to the gay bar was about seeing who was available to you and camaraderie and friends. Now, uh, we have less gay bars to go to because of COVID and epidemics uh, that have happened, but it's changed. But whereas in a leather space, again, you see people in various degrees of leather or kink. And you also have a lot of people who are very much around safe, sane, and consensual and not not stepping on anybody's boundaries, Mm -hmm. you know, that I find you attractive and I respect that you have a daddy and do certain protocols before I talk to you or touch you. Or I respect the fact that even though we're at a dungeon or a sex play, that because you did sex with him 10 minutes ago, I can't just walk in and stick my dick in you because you're there because you didn't consent me to do those things. Mm-hmm. So some of those, some of the unwritten rules around consent are very, very prevalent in leather spaces that are not the same in general spaces. I've been in a bar, in a regular bar, where a guy walked up to me and squeezed my nipples. And I said, what the fuck? And he said, they sitting out there. They're not, they're not to be touched. I was like, I don't know you from a can of paint. Get your hand off me. <laughs> yeah, at least have some kind of... Uh, we, were, we were talking about this the other day, uh, me and a couple of my friends, about like forms of consent. And even even some sort of nonverbal consent would have been, I'm sure, acceptable. Had he looked at you and you kind of gave him the look and then... Or smiled of, or said, what's up? Yeah. Is it look, looking good? Something. Nothing. He just yeah. walked... I was sitting there, I was sitting with some friends and it was against the wall. He walked past, this is not, this is like maybe two years ago. It's pre-COVID. He just walked by and, and squeezed my nipples. Yeah. A handful in each, in each hand. I was like, damn. I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> go, they're sitting out there. And I was like, thank oh you, God. but no. <laughs> my God. Yeah. 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 You know, so sometimes it's different. And I mean, I've seen guys that walk up and just grab somebody's ass. And it's like, who the fuck are you? And because they don't know protocol or whatever. And, you know, sometimes even if your ass is out at a, at, at a leather situation, that ass may belong to somebody else. And you right. can just walk up and, and grab somebody's ass like that. So. I kind of, I think I agree with you there in, in, in like, because kink is such a leaves, leaves both of us to, highly vulnerable spaces when we're with each other. I think communication is definitely highlighted more in and, that sense. And protocols. And yes. protocols, yeah. You know, not that I've, I mean, I've experienced what you've experienced at Leather Bars too, but usually mm-hmm. it's from somebody that's not very experienced or right. doesn't understand. Right. And then, you know, there's education that can follow that. But anyway, I mean, as we, as we wrap up here, out of all of your experiences with leather and kink coming out and, and your just your whole story, what would be one thing that leather has changed in your life? I would say maybe sexually, it gave me a sense of freedom, mm-hmm. a sense of freedom to try things I didn't think I could try or to be in a different type of relationship with people that are not always sexual. Mm-hmm. I have a friend who's very much, I have this guy who's very attracted to me and he says, I don't know how it would be to be with you because you're fucking everybody else in the room. I was like, what we do in the leather community is not all about sex. You go, what? I was like, because I'm with people doesn't mean I'm fucking everybody I I meet. Right. I said, a lot of what we do is sensual, but it's not all sexual. And he was like, well, I was like, 
there's no sex in a piece of rope. <laughs> right, right. There's no sex in a harness. There's no sex in a paddle. Now, if I told you about, I could give you a, examples of five or 10 different activities, and maybe two of them were actually requiring my mouth or my dick or a, a hole being involved. But there could be a lot of other things I can do that I can enjoy that none of that stuff is involved. Right. And he never thought about it that way. He just thought that it was like free love for everybody and everybody in the room is having sex with everybody and just, they're all losing their minds. They go, no, that's not the way it works, baby. Right. So, you know, a lot of people don't understand that. So it's a freedom to try things and experiment and experience things that you don't always get to do. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, I want to thank you again, Daddy Sage, for coming on the show. Before we go, do you have any last statements you'd like to make to our audience? Well, I want to also thank you and the younger community, because I think that for some of us old heads, and I don't mean that in a pejorative as all, at all, at all, but for a lot of people who have been around for longer, seeing how the young guys are pursuing sex and sexuality and gender norms is very, very different than what happened 20, 30 years ago. Mm-hmm. And that's great to see the changes that have happened. And also know that when an older and more experienced, and experience doesn't have to have an age, but person gives you information or tries to tell you something, take it for what it's worth. And it may not be as condemning as some people think it is. Mm-hmm. I'm not trying to tell you how to live your life. I'm just giving you another perspective for how you could do things. But also for the old ones, you know, we can always learn from these new folks because the world has changed. Like I said, we are all experiencing life differently than we did not only 20 years ago, but five years ago. Mm-hmm. You know, the idea that you could turn on TV and see transgender people on any channel now, not just on HBO or Showtime, but on so many different channels, or them talking about transgender folks and, and gender norms is phenomenal. And the mm-hmm. idea yeah. that life is different than what we thought it was going to be or how we thought it was when we were children or younger is a reality. So things are very, very different and, and be okay to that. And be open, and be, again, be open to the experiences because that's what we have. I really appreciate you saying that. And especially because like that is one of the main reasons that I have this podcast is really for us to hear each other's stories and perspectives and, you know, from the old generation to today's generation and learn from each other. So I really appreciate that you highlighted that. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Um, how can we reach out to you? How can we get involved more with Onyx? Um, where um, can we find you? My, I have, a, I have a Facebook page. It's called Daddy Sage on Facebook. So mm-hmm. you can just find me at Daddy Sage in New York City. And I have an email address, daddysageonyx at gmail.com, as well as Onyx. There are nine Onyx chapters nationally right now. Mm-hmm. Um, Chicago Midwest. Atlanta, Southeast, Deep South, um, Washington, Mid-Atlantic, New York, Northeast, Great Lakes, which encompasses Detroit, Lexington, Kentucky, and Cleveland, Mm -hmm. Lone Star, which is Texas, Oklahoma, New Mexico, Southwest, which is Los Angeles, San Diego, Arizona, so on and so forth, Northwest, which is San Francisco, Portland, Seattle, so on and so forth. And um, you just go to Onyx and put in like Onyx North, New York Northeast, and, you'll, and they'll give you a website where you can reach out to those organizations. 
Onyx Deep South, which is Florida and the Caribbean, Onyx Southwest, so on and so forth. And you can find Onyx internationally. Awesome. Thank you so much. Absolutely. I want to thank you again, Daddy Sage. And before we go to our audience members, please don't forget to check out the many outreach programs we have available to us here in the Los Angeles area. The LELC Cares and Boulevard Pantry are some ways that you can get assistance during these trying times of COVID-19. I will have links in the description below. As always, you can find me on Instagram and Patreon as Leather Talk Mr. Bullet and Twitter as Branded Bullet LA. Don't forget to rate and subscribe. And as always, stay safe. Stay healthy, stay kinky.